0: Hey, it's Chris. Welcome to the podcast. It's been a while, hasn't it? But you guys will forgive me. And I know you know why. It was the Apple event. Things have been pretty crazy around here, but I've really been excited to get back here on the mic and reconnect with everybody. I don't know. What has it almost been like two weeks? Has it been longer than that? Hopefully not. I realized that even with some editing help, I still had trouble finding the time to sit down and record. But that's all right, because we're going to really go through some fun stuff today. We're going to talk about the Apple event. Obviously, if there's time, I wouldn't mind talking a little bit about the Microsoft event. I don't know if you even caught that. If you're living in Apple world, there's some interesting hardware that Microsoft has been talking about, but we may not get to that. Also, I promised in a video well, yeah, a little while back the five ways to earn six figures with the iPad video. I promised that I would answer some questions. So I do intend to get those answered, but I'm going to keep that at the end. We're going to cover that towards the last part of the podcast because uh, I want to talk about some of the new Apple stuff laying around. For instance, right on the desk in front of me, I've got the iPad mini, the new one, and I love it. I've also got sitting right here, the gold color iPhone 13 Pro. That's the only iPhone 13 I've even unboxed at the moment. And I haven't done an unboxing of the iPhones yet. I have them. I've just been kind of busy. I got the iPads first, actually, It's just the way that it worked out. And so since I had the mini, I did that first, I expected that to be maybe the most popular of the two iPads that I got. But I also got the iPad 9 and that one outranked in terms of views and watch time. The iPad mini video is crazy how many people are interested in that, you know, entry level iPad. I get it. It's a very good deal for what you get. But just in terms of excitement, personally, I'm so excited about this mini. I didn't expect to like it so much. And people keep saying, well, what's the difference? Like, what is it about this mini? And I feel like partly what it is, is it can do stuff that other tablets, including the iPad, they just, it's just different. Like editing photos and video, what with your Apple Pencil in one hand and this tablet in the other, it's so light. It's just like holding air, kind of. It's almost like they mislabeled the air because this is so light. It just kind of feels like I'm holding nothing one-handed. It just fits so nicely in my hand and then to be able to interact with it with the Apple Pencil, it's just such a cool size. I wasn't enamored with the old mini like I am with this one. You know, I like Apple stuff in general. I like the iPad in general. The mini was a small iPad, it was cool, but this one it just hits differently, you know? It is so portable and fun. It's barely bigger than an Apple Pencil V2 is Tall, you know, so it fits on there with a little extra space. And people are always like, Hey, doesn't that Apple pencil fall off pretty easily? Well, it's no different than any of the other iPads with a magnetic pencil. You can knock it off, but I've never lost one. We'll just put it like that. If you're careful, if you know what's going on, it's possible that it's going to come off if you put it in a bag or something, uh, backpack. But no, I haven't had any issues with it. The thing that I like about the Mini, other than it's, Artwork, right? The box where it says mini, that is some really cool artwork. And then, of course, that's a wallpaper too. But, you know, it's funny because it is the iPad OS 15 experience. You can still multitask on it. You still get the widgets. You know, I don't find them hard to view or anything like that. I don't know. There's nothing else to say than what I've already said in my unboxing until I get to my review because I don't want to go too much more in depth right now. But I just really like it. If you can, maybe, here's what I'll say, get yourself to a store that has one to experience it because it's really cool. As far as the 13 Pro here, which, by the way, I ordered two iPhones, and I think this year, I may stop doing that. Historically, I've always gotten two iPhones for myself. That started a long time ago, as I explained before when I was doing more non-Apple stuff. And I got on a plan where I could easily upgrade my phones and I'd have my personal one and then have one that I could review and trade that in frequently. And But then after a while, that morphed into, well, I'm going to have a personal phone and then I'm going to have a business phone. And that business one, I'm basically going to treat like a camera. And I did. I used that for the last couple of years all the time. And a lot of people didn't get it. They're like, well, why don't you just have one and get the most upgraded thing? And But there was something to it. For me to be able to go to the studio or something and just add that into my camera setup from a multicam, And it can plug in good enough that basically nobody would notice unless they're a camera person that I one of the angles was an iPhone. To be able to do that, especially with the 12 Pro Max, that big camera sensor, and now with the 13s, like that did make sense. And also if I wanted somebody else on the team to be able to film something, it's like you can rig out a whole camera and bring it with you to a location or something. You can do that, but it's so much easier to just take a phone. Right. You miss out on a few things like the depth of field, and we'll talk about cinematic video in just a minute, but you know, it it just is easier. But I'm feeling like maybe I'm going to try not doing that this year because there's a few other phones that I would like to get my hands on. Some Android manufacturers do send me some devices, but there's some that I just want to experience, like Samsung. For whatever reason, they do not reach out to me in any of their departments, which is funny because it's sort of like when you're in my position, you always have this chicken and the egg problem. And I know everyone always wonders, well, how do you connect with an Apple or any name of a company, right? Well, oftentimes it's like, it's the same with connecting with a person. Sometimes you have to make some sort of content about something kind of to get on a company's radar in the first place before they're going to strike up a relationship with you. And so, you know, I haven't really covered a lot of Samsung stuff. I did, back in the day, talk about them a little bit more, but never to the extent where they probably took notice. I did actually get one review unit from Samsung once for a tablet. And that's been many years ago. But I don't know. For whatever reason, I just never really did that. But I am interested in some of their stuff. And this would be a good time for me to explore some of their foldables and stuff. So I'm thinking about going back to just the one iPhone system. We'll see. But this 13 mini is really cool. The first thing I noticed when I took it out was how heavy it was. Honestly, I haven't done any research into these in depth yet, but that could just be from that huge battery that it's got. Also, it's very noticeable how much bigger those camera lenses are on the back. Got the triple lens set up and that camera bumps looking a little different than even the 12 Pro Max last year. You put this up to the 12 Pro Max, you can notice how much bigger these camera lenses are. Just side by side. So, yeah, visually, you can tell that these cameras should be upgraded. I've been having fun messing around with the camera. So, I've been using the macro mode all over the place. I think my family's sick of me shooting macro stuff and trying to show them. It's like, oh, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. The macro mode has been fun. And, like I said in my first video on the iPhone 13s, which was more of like a buyer's guide doing all the research for everybody. What I said was, I don't think that someone's going to be using that every day. Somebody out there is, but most people probably aren't. I didn't really know what to expect. It's a little different than I thought. So it automatically switches into macro mode for you when you get close enough to something. So there's not like a button that you press on the menu or anything to get into macro mode. And then you can get it within like two centimeters, I think, something like that, in order to take your photos. And I think my favorite shot that I got so far was of the smart keyboard for the iPad 9 which kind of has that woven... Yeah, I don't know. I guess it is kind of a fabric, whatever it's made out of. Um, it's not just like a plastic key cap, you know? And I zoomed in on the M key and I think it was the first macro photo that I took. Oh, wow. The amount of detail that it captures can be impressive, but not always though. I feel like uh, this feature really has a personality and you've got to use it a bunch to know what to expect, how to get the most out of it. Like, And in fact, you know, Here's an interesting thing. That first image that I posted, and I posted this on Twitter and a few other places, if you want to go look at it and see what it looks like. But it was a night mode macro shot. And the reason is because oftentimes when you're getting that close to something, your phone creates a shadow and makes it really dark, whatever the subject matter is. It's hard to get light in for this macro mode in certain circumstances. It's good that you can use the night mode, that it can kick in, but then you have to hold it still you know, for a little bit to get it turned out. So I think this one was a night mode shot, which is impressive. And I'm glad that it kicked in. But, you know, it's quirky. It's a little bit quirky, I would say, this macro mode. Fun, but maybe different than you might have expected. I think probably the archetypal macro shot that you could get is to go put it next to a leaf or something and get the veins. That's like a good test photo for your macro lens. But the other thing I've been doing is sticking it up next to screens. Like I put it up against the touch bar on my Mac and that little Siri icon and I could see the pixels, the individual pixels. That was kind of fun on my Mac and also on the Mac screen. So yeah, I mean, it is cool. It's impressive in a way. Oh, of course I shot the bubbles on my Nitro Coffee. I'm flipping through all my photos right now. That was kind of fun too. So, yeah, you know, let's hit that cinematic mode just a little bit. I've seen some cinematic mode tests out there. Justine did a good job. Jonathan with his new channel, Jonathan and friends, he's been doing some music stuff with music videos, and he shot one that was in cinematic mode. And here's the thing. I feel like when this was announced, I knew immediately how I could make this feature work and slash look really good. And I knew immediately how I could make it not work very good and look bad. So, if I was a slanted journalist, I could absolutely make a video that paints it in the best possible light or in the worst possible light. And I think it's going to be hard for people to be objective and just kind of say, like, here's what it would look like under normal circumstances by a regular person. So, you know, I've just done some real brief testing with it, but it basically confirms what I had thought immediately. So, things like lighting are going to matter, things like the distance from the subject are going to matter when really I have something in mind when I'm talking about this. I think it was the wall street journal possibly that did a video on this. It was in a really dark room with like neon lighting and they're kind of made like a pseudo music video to make fun of this feature. I almost felt like they were out to make fun of this feature. The the gist of the video, I didn't watch the whole thing kind of ended up being, Hey, this doesn't work well. Apple lied kind of. But then, you know, you look at Jonathan Morrison's video. John, he obviously knows what he's doing when he's, you know, working with cameras, that's for sure. And his video does not try to take things to the extreme. You know, he doesn't push the effect, the blurriness in the background to, you know, the widest possible virtual aperture, so to speak. He keeps it a little bit subtle. And that's the thing. <laughs> it's hard with the marketing, right? Apple has to make this sound like amazing. So people get on board with it and get excited about it. But, you know, I'm seeing this from all sides. I see people who are like in film school too, being like, oh, come on. It was the budget. It was the lighting. It was the director. You know, this is just kind of garbage for Apple to even attempt to do this. So what I'm trying to say is Jonathan's video versus the Wall Street Journal, which I don't know why it hasn't been seen more. People are not really paying attention to that second channel like I thought they would. But there's some really cool Apple demos on there, even if you... You know, are not necessarily into the music vibe, but I feel like John had the right expectations going into it. And of course, he probably knows how to make it look better or look good too. In his video, it was outside, but it was pretty well lit. And he wasn't super up close. And if you're not super up close, and if you don't dial in the blurriness too much, then you end up with a more subtle effect for the cinematic blurrier background, I guess we'll just say, the bokeh effect, which is completely digital. There's not actual depth of field really happening there. You can get some depth of field on iPhone cameras, but it's is very subtle for the real thing. And under those circumstances, it looks pretty good. Now, is this something that I am going to end up using a whole lot? I actually don't think I will end up using it all that much. If I could use it at higher settings, I might. I feel like to the discerning eye, if you do any kind of professional video it's never going to be good enough for you right and so it's hard for me to approach this one you know from just a normal person who doesn't do youtube not into video from their mindset and say well how does it look like is this pretty good one thing that i had talked about a lot was the edge detection and i think that apple has actually done a pretty good job with it you know it's never going to look 100% perfect but it's almost better than i expected it to be at this point I feel like this is early days for this. And three to five years from now, it's probably going to be much, much better. And I do think that I've heard that Apple's going to continue working on this. So so that's good. But I think probably the most impressive thing with it is not necessarily the blurry background as much as it is that rack focus. So when you have something in the distance and then you have a closer subject, especially when it's two people, this is the demo that Apple keeps showing off. Somebody kind of turns around to look at and talk to somebody behind them. And then it automatically rack focuses, which is kind of like a smooth transition from being focused on the thing in the front to the thing in the back. It focuses from that front face to the face in the background, kind of blurs out the foreground. You know, and that is pretty impressive. Just technically, maybe there's a little bit of hunting here and there, but that actually is pretty cool. Again, is everyone going to end up using this every day? I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens. But it is technically kind of neat. So I'll, I'll have to do further testing, I guess. You know, the notch is a little bit smaller. I don't know if it's just me. Like, I barely notice it. I guess when I hold this up to my old 12 Pro Max, I can notice it. But when I'm just looking at it and I'm not seeing it next to my old iPhone, I don't notice it that much that the notch is smaller. It's still the notch, you know. doesn't really matter. I know a lot of people are disappointed because... There's room now probably for Apple to add in the percentage for the battery by default again, which is something that they took out. I think you can go in and turn that on yourself, but it's not there by default. But I don't know. It's not a game changer. The notch size, to be honest, except I did see that because it's a little bit taller. If you turn your phone in landscape mode and you're watching a video, let's say on YouTube or you know something uh, more professional, let's say, um, and they mess with the aspect ratio. I haven't been doing it recently, but it's pretty easy to shoot in an aspect ratio that fits a longer phone screen for YouTube videos that's horizontal. I'm not talking about vertical to where you just miss the notch. Well, if you use that ratio, now that notch will intrude ever so slightly into your video. And that's kind of annoying. In terms of actual picture quality, I've actually found myself being just a little bit disappointed, though from the photos on my 13 Pro so far. Maybe my expectations were just over the top. But when I saw that we're getting so much more light in on the Pros, I'm talking about the Pro here, because again, that's the only one I've unboxed so far. And I've got four, by the way, plus my own personal ones. Yeah, I mean, they're good photos, but I guess I was just expecting more, more of a difference. And it's just kind of more of the same, which is fine. I've done an awful lot of talking about, especially in that comparison video, you know, expectations heading into this thing. So I'm not going to rehash that right now. It's just, it's a really, really solid iPhone. It's just nothing super unexpected at the moment, which is fine. If you're coming from, you know, three, four, five years ago, it's going to feel like a piece of magic in your hand. Once again, if you're just coming from last year, it's like, oh yeah, there it is again, you know? So, the Apple event this year was fun. When I was rewatching a little bit of it, I felt like, you know, the intro was a little bit peppier than I remembered, but the whole thing, it just felt a little bit more down to business this time. And I would say this year, but no, not this year, just this time. There was still some interesting stuff happening. You know, the way that Apple introduced and talked about things with all these different California locations, it was still well done. You know, it wasn't just, your ordinary thing. It wasn't just shot in the Steve Jobs Theater. And yet, it just didn't have that special spark that you look for at an Apple event. And I guess just down to business is just the best way I have to describe it. Probably that's due to the nature of the updates. You know, things (laughs) felt, uh, they did feel just very iterative, except for this iPad mini. Uh, To me, that was almost the most exciting announcement of the day. And I guess the event sort of reflected that. You know, was it a little disappointing? In a way, because I've just come to expect so much from these. But I'm happy, though, with the things that we got because you can't have every event be some kind of crazy bombshell of excitement. So it was cool for what it was, but it just kind of left me wanting more. And isn't that funny? That's the power of Apple, I think. If you're really into this ecosystem and the hardware and some of the software, it's like, even if you don't get that crazy excitement that you might expect, you're still craving it, and you're still looking for it next time. It's almost like an addiction, isn't it? I do wanna mention, you guys hear me talk about Jarvis a lot. I uploaded a video that was more of a deep dive into Jarvis because that had been requested by a lot of people. This is a video I knew that, you know, not everyone was gonna be into, and sure enough, it ranked 10 out of 10 for the last videos, you know, the last 10 videos. But I was okay with it because it's something that I personally enjoy. I use it. I like it. I pay for the most expensive tier and it earns me a lot of money and I find it valuable. It's worth its weight in gold, so to speak, for me. But I knew it wasn't going to be something that resonated like an iPad video. So the last two iPad videos, those things ranked, right? The mini and then the regular ninth gen, those ranked. And they're well on their way to doing well. Often my iPad unboxings will do well throughout the year. And so I expect that to be true here. But yeah, you know, it was just one that I got up there because it was kind of a personal interest to me. And for those people that were expecting and hoping for more of a deep dive into that app that I talk about so much, I just wanted to make that available. So if the algorithm hasn't shown you that and you're interested in how I use Jarvis and how to get more out of it and how it actually works, then check it out. Hey, have you guys seen that rumor that says Apple's finally playing around with the camera placement on the iPad Pros? That's something to talk about. So, you know, I hate getting into rumors, but this has me kind of excited. It's talking about the iPad Pro realigning the iPad camera, the placement in the back to a landscape orientation. And maybe if they're doing that, they got to be thinking about both cameras, right, front and back. And probably in particular, the front, because everyone talks about, and I agree, I've been there too, talking about it. When you're looking at that camera, it's less prominent when you have center stage going on, I think. But it still is noticeable, you're looking off to the side instead of in the middle and make so much more sense to have your camera, your front facing FaceTime camera centered when you have it on the magic keyboard, for instance, or just horizontally. So it sounds like they're actually considering that, which has me pretty excited. This comes from a leaker. I think you guys kind of know I don't love leaks, but here's what it says. And I had any fuel to the fire, but it says "Uh, future iPad pros will feature a horizontal camera placement and a horizontally placed Apple logo on the back. Apple will make landscape mode the default for iPad Pro usage. I have not confirmed whether the next generation model will have this feature, but it's in the works. So yeah, it's, I guess, only an iPad Pro thing. And that's interesting. That makes sense. Because, you know, if you're a pro, especially doing a lot of meetings and stuff, that might be something you'd be willing to pay extra for. And oftentimes, you guys know how this is, too. The stuff that happens on the higher end filters down. And it takes a while. And so that can be exciting. So you can imagine the next SE model of something having the body of a device that used to be a pro. You know, that's how it goes. But it takes a few years. And that's okay. But this just makes sense. And for obvious reasons. The MacBooks have centered cameras, you know. (laughs) But I do also know that Apple considers the iPad an orientationless device. Isn't that interesting? I ran into that recently, and when I thought about that, I was like, oh interesting because you're going to design for it totally differently if you consider orientation less than if you say no this is up and that's down and that's a side but that's not i don't think how apple's been approaching it from information that i've come across you guys know how the new ProRes feature that probably has more youtubers excited than anybody else is coming to the iphone 13 pros Do you realize that ProRes, which if you don't know what it is, it just gives you more leeway when you're doing like a color grade kind of more information, more data to work with. Because if you're not in video world, if you try to edit something that's more highly compressed and you really want to get extreme or more creative, I would say with your edit, because in Hollywood, you know, you might have some teal and orange color palettes coming into play, right? And you got to wash certain colors into shadows or highlights get the look that you're after. Well, if you're serious about that, you need more data because if you start playing around with something that's too compressed, it breaks. And when it breaks, it doesn't look good. You get a lot of artifacting. And when I was trying to get into learning just color correction, much less grading, you go through these phases, you know, (laughs) when you're a YouTuber and I'm at the phase where it's like, just plug the cameras in and the default settings are pretty good. Do some white balance. and I'm good to go. Maybe do an S curve a little bit. uh, Good to go. But other people get really into LUTs, which is lookup tables and just these color, you know, looks. And so I went through a phase where I was playing around with different tools and different plugins and stuff that would let me have cooler, more cinematic looks. And I don't really do that ever since I got the A7S three because it looks so good just straight out of camera. But yeah, I definitely messed up some footage when I was playing around with it. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. And I can look back at that phase of the channel and be like, oh, yeah, look how that's getting those artifacts. It's like grain. It's like noise, but worse. It's blockier and choppier. It just looks bad. But here's, here's what I'm driving at. The iPhone 13 Pro six gigabit per minute ProRes storage. Wow. We don't really have all the details on the ProRes because it's coming later. It's not quite out yet. But we know already that if you're shooting a minute of ProRes on this, it's going to be a six gig per minute file. Can you imagine? Now, this is why they came out with the one terabyte storage. I said this in my iPhone comparison guide. If you're planning on using the pro cinematic features, especially, you're going to want that one terabyte. It's really expensive. But this is why. Six gigs per minute. Wow. I should tell you guys, I used to have the habit and it's been a while since we moved into the new place. How can I say this? It's not that I've gotten lazier. I'm not sure what it is. Life just happens and you do stuff, work and all kinds of stuff. But I used to have this really awesome habit of waking up super early, like four in the morning. Pretty sure I've talked a lot about that on here. And that sort of has faded over the last hmm, four or five months, maybe or longer. And I don't know why. I've just been sleeping a little bit more, but it's really affected my output. And I think I've mentioned before somewhere where it almost feels like a second employee for myself, like another Chris, morning Chris, when I wake up at four and I just can get so much more done. This is such a time-intensive business that I'm in. And if I shoot something, I'm not done with it at that point. It can take hours to import footage. It depends how many cameras and and what bit rate I'm shooting at and how good the quality is and then getting B-roll and stuff. So you get decent product shots and you have to edit it. And oftentimes I bogged down in that edit. And sometimes you got to research for a long time. It's not just like a reactionary video. And you want to say something that's impactful, that matters, that delivers value. And so you have all these different puzzle pieces when you're creating a video in particular. It's not like the podcast where I'm just sort of just shooting from the hip, you know, and talking off the top right here. So anyways, in the old days, I've been a victim of trying to like overplan stuff. I'm going to do this many videos per week. <laughs> and then you don't hit that. Because every video is different. That's what I didn't know when I used to try to fit stuff in, which is not the same on every channel. Like, you know, for an unboxing channel that just does pure unboxings all the time, then that you can get pretty systematic about and know this is about how long it's going to take and yada, yada, yada. But for my stuff, it's every video can be drastically different. But what happens is though, if I can basically get through a whole day of doing some research, if it's light research, light to medium shooting, importing. And that will take me a whole day oftentimes. And if I wake up at like four, get that thing edited by six or 630, about two and a half hours, depending. If it's like a multicam video, those are easier to edit because you're just like switching the angles and fine tuning stuff. If there's a lot of B-roll, it tends to take me a lot longer. And that's one of the reasons that I like the multicam setup. But yeah. And so when I wake up earlier, wow, I get a lot done. And obviously, I'm more tired. I've really got to I think that's what it is. Like, it's hard to keep up that drive forever because you do want some time to relax. You can just hit a wall no matter what you do, because if you're just working at top speed and um, you're turning out a video literally every day <laughs> or every 24 hours would be more likely um, for me. You could consider it a day, but it, you know, goes way beyond one work day in terms of hours. Even if I were to do that, you know, I'd hit a wall and I would burn out there too. Because like, I can't do any more than I'm humanly doing without hiring people or whatever. We've talked about this before on this podcast. And then if you go the opposite direction, you kind of get a little lax, then you can hit a wall too, because you're like, "Um, well, I'm going to spend so much time on the research. And I'm just going to produce this one video and it's going to be a hit. Well, if that thing is not a hit and it flops, then you just wasted a lot of time. And you're not playing the numbers game now. And there's something to be said about getting more out there because sometimes a video does better when you're not expecting it. And that happened to me recently, the HomePod mini video with that little accessory that basically turns it into a portable thing that you can take with you. That did very well. And it was my number one ranking video for a while. And it was basically just something that I shot because it was in between other stuff. This was before the Apple event and it was laying around and I'm glad I made it because apparently people liked it. But it's not one that I would have predicted would have done really well. And then other times you can spend a whole lot of time and it doesn't do well. So it can kind of come down to a numbers game. But I guess I'm rambling on and on here. But I just think I really enjoyed waking up because I basically had to because the Apple event hit earlier again and getting more done. I felt so accomplished by breakfast time. It was like, wow, I already got this great video out. I'm ready for the next thing. It's making me want to get back in that habit. And people, I guess you guys noticed because uh, I was in the live chat for the premiere and Alfred or Al, is it Al? Is it Alfred? Sorry if I'm butchering. My brain's a little fuzzy right now. I'll just call you Al. (laughs) That's how I think of you anyways. You know who you are. Thanks for the support. Always being around. But he was like, Hey, I appreciate the output. I mean, you guys must notice that too. When I get more done instead of just one video per week or whatever, regardless of the quality, you know, that quantity, it's noticeable, I think so. I'm doing it more, I think. But don't hold me to it. Okay, well, we got like 20 minutes or something here for me to ramble about the... I promised to answer some questions related to the iPad business video. So five ways to earn six figures with the iPad. On Twitter, I asked for some questions. And at the end of that video, I said, hey, I'm going to answer those. So this is that. I'm going to go ahead and do that. The tweet, if you missed it, was, anyone sick of their job or circumstances and wanting to start a biz or a side hustle? What's holding you back? What are you stuck on? I've got a video coming up that will help you get in motion and I want to hear what help you need the most. That was the tweet. By the way, I'm really excited about that video. I'm glad that I made it. I'm glad to see that it's meaningful to people because it was meaningful to me. I felt like I got to spill a lot of my information of the value that I've accumulated in terms of just from experience. It was like hard fought experience that people just wouldn't know unless someone told them. And a lot of times for lots of reasons. People just don't run into that information. So I was glad to put it out there for the people that are finding it. I can tell by the responses that people are really liking it and feeling a a little empowered to take control of their lives, I think. So I'm glad that I got it out there. So the very first question, uh, the thing holding this person back, they said they were spending money, they were investing in their side hustle, and they just weren't seeing the return. Well, this is an interesting topic because absolutely, the old saying is true that oftentimes it does take money to make money. And I hate that, right? On the one hand, but it's very true on the other hand. If you give two people the same goal of starting a YouTube channel, for instance, I'll just talk about this, but it can be applicable other places. You give one person 50 or 100 grand, right? To get started. And the other person starts from scratch and they just got to use the phone in their pocket to shoot, to edit, to upload. And the other person's out getting some equipment. And you know, it's not the equipment that's going to make a difference, but it's going to be able to... Allow the person with more money to start uh, to get stuff to talk about, whether that's experiences, travel costs, acquiring products, but subject matter, right? Unfortunately, can cost money. Otherwise, you're limited to kind of what you have too for subject matter, whether that's product or experiences. Yeah, you can start with better, crispier footage, although that doesn't matter as much as having just something interesting to say, having a personality. Like that matters more than equipment. But but what I'm trying to say is money is kind of an unfair advantage. So it does take money to make money in a lot of ways. Although you can start for cheap and work your way up. It's just that when you invest time instead of money, everyone has time to invest. But when you invest time instead of money, it just takes longer. That's my take. So for this person, I would just say patience. You're not going to see your returns like immediately. That's for sure. And, uh, you want to do some testing. I'm not sure what you're trying to accomplish, what you're spending money on, but obviously you don't want to throw money away on something that isn't going to make a difference. So I don't know if you're trying to do some advertising or what, but you got to make sure that those dollars count and you got to be really cunning. You know, when you're starting up, it is do or die mode. Um, I certainly was there. There was times when the bank account was low before it got a little more full. It was low. You know, I've told you before. I remember just eating the saltine crackers, you know, for a while there, not for too long, but you know, it got that low. I had a friend one time who was like, hey, don't be afraid to hit the food bank. It can be do or die. And it's either like your dream that dies (laughs) or, you know, you just have to find a way through. And honestly, see, I'm almost glad that you're experiencing some adversity here because you need that to thrive in a way. Isn't that weird? You would think that you could uh, just go out and crush it if it was like a gold-plated road that you were walking down with no troubles ever. But I think it's really the opposite. I think you need to. Uh, here's what I'll say: I don't know what you're facing in terms of spending money and not seeing the return. It's hard to diagnose something when you're not, you know, just right there and fully appraised. But I feel like some of my biggest breakthroughs, not just in life but in business, have come as the result of feeling really squeezed. Like, oh shoot, this is looking dire. Like I don't know how I'm going to pay for something if I don't go and make something happen. And that pressure, as I say, pressure creates diamonds. Like That made me take action. And it was valuable action. That has happened to me time and time again. So that's probably not super useful other than just saying like, don't give up. But really, it's almost a good circumstance to be in because you can get creative and make stuff happen. You know, there's a, a reason that a few years ago the term growth hacking was popular. A lot of companies that just if you don't have the budget, you got to go and be more creative. A lot of early customers for certain businesses happened because people went out and did some some crazy stuff, some physical, you know, hard work onboarding their first customers or whatever the process was. So yeah. All right. So here's another thing that somebody said. They said, having a family and being the only moneymaker makes it super tough financially and with time. I'm still trying, but definitely moving much slower than I'd like to be. Also, trying to figure out how to do it all by myself. Okay. Well, I can really resonate with this because I do have help. And I always have because my spouse has always been there. My wife We're literally 50 50 owners in this biz, which is not for everybody, by the way. But, you know, if you're literally doing all the work by yourself, though, and you can't split it up at all, I still understand and get what you're going through. I think one thing that's really interesting is in this online world, the notion that you need to have something to sell people or like something to make money with is almost putting the cart before the horse. I don't know where I even got that phrase. Uh, What century am I living in? But what I mean is, in these days, it can make sense. and In a lot of ways, it might almost make better sense to build an audience for something before you have something to sell them. Does that make sense? And really, that audience building can be very organic. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money. And it will be time intensive. And I see that you're already straining when it comes to the time. But... Whatever you do, you're going to need some patience. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was just talking to Andrew Warner about this. He tweeted something and I was like, yeah, uh, but don't forget, you need to have a multi-year mindset. And I try to reinforce that whenever somebody asks about advice for starting something, whether it's like a YouTube channel or just a business or something, you can't be thinking in terms of months, you know, days, weeks, months, or even one year. I mean, you have to go in thinking, I'm going to be doing this for five to seven years and I'm willing to dedicate and do whatever it takes. It takes that kind of mentality. And if you can't find something that you're that passionate about or care that much about or believe in that much, then I don't know that you're doing the right thing. But look, whatever it is that you're trying to do, it doesn't hurt to have an audience. I remember when I was blogging, it was like new this concept of concept marketing. Or oh, I'm sorry, yeah, content marketing, not concept. <laughs> and you know, for a company to start a blog and just get organic traffic. That wasn't even about their product, but you're just helping people. And then, oh, by the way, it's by this company. What what does this company do? It's like an indirect way to market stuff. It's interesting because when I started Daily Tech, the video aspect of Daily Tech, because the blog was 2012, the video stuff, that crossover happened in 2015, which is basically when we started over from scratch to rebuild the audience. Because I don't know if I told you guys this, but the kind of content we were creating on the blog, it wasn't like long-term stuff. The people that were hitting the blog were coming for like one article and then bouncing off the site. It wasn't like they were getting really invested in me or in daily tech as a brand or as a place to go, as a destination. They were just interested in one thing. They found us through search and then left. They searched for the next thing and forgot all about us. That was a big change, a big difference when it came to the video side of things. It became very personal and people were getting invested in me and the blog and the voice and uh, my style and whatever. But when I set out, I was just building the audience really. And I was doing something I wanted to do. And I didn't have just something in mind in terms of like something that I was going to sell or whatever. And I still don't really have my own product to sell. I need to do that. I saw the DG merch drop. You know, she partnered with Moment and made some really great peachy AirPods cases, Apple watch stuff and different people. Gerald Undone did something with his camera audience. I do need to have like something that I can sell that's my own. Instead of just hawking other people's products all the time, right? I'm aware of that. But when I set out, you know, when I started this journey in that eight by eight cube in the garage that I built with my dad, uh, I was so cramped, you know, no air conditioning. I just wanted to do it. And I built the audience. And now I have the luxury of saying, hey, I could develop a cool product, and these people would be on board, you know, because they've trust me now. They get valuable stuff from me, and I can be a resource in terms of product instead of just information. you know. So I guess this is a really long answer to just say, maybe you can build the audience for free first. And there's other ways to monetize an audience as well, whether it's ads or a membership program or something too. But that audience is so valuable. That's why companies come to us to sponsor because the audience relationship is so valuable. So you can build that. I just want to say uh, good luck to Charlie, who was checking out getting a new car so they can drive instead of flying in the plane to make it to their job, to make things happen. So I'm not sure how that turned out. But I just want to say, keep putting the work and good luck. Here's something interesting. Somebody said the thing that was holding them back was too many people already doing everything. And isn't that an interesting thought? I know that's holding a lot of people back. And sometimes I feel like that even comes from me sometimes. And here's the thing. It's really not a zero sum game when it comes to the online world. Sometimes it is, but very often it's not. And so, let's just say, if I didn't make a video about iPhone stuff because I figured, hey, Marquez did it, Lou did it, Jonathan did it, Austin did it, Justine did it, Sarah did it. You know, there's a lot of people making a lot of content these days about the stuff that I make content about. But it's not a zero sum. Online world, really, because everybody's approaching stuff at a different angle. Everybody approaches stuff with a different experience. And just by being you, you have a different experience than other humans on the planet, than every other human on the planet. But you do have some commonalities too. And when you come from your background and talk about stuff from your perspective, that does matter. Now, that said, originality also does matter. And originality happens just by you being you but originality doesn't happen. I just want to caution when you try to be somebody else. You'll never be, like I say, a better version of somebody else than they already are. You got to be yourself. Embrace yourself whether you think you're weird or whatever. I see this mistake all the time in the YouTube space. People see a top-tier creator, somebody who's, you know, really well known, and all of a sudden they got the same lamps in the background, they got the same kind of mannerisms that they've picked up from certain people you can just tell. And that's really not the way to go, right? <laughs> you got to be yourself. You have to think about what do you care about. How are you? Just let it flow, your own personal self, and I think you'll find more success. But you know, even uh, I talked about this in the uh, iPad video about starting an iPad-based business. If you're in the e-commerce world, you don't even have to think of some crazy new product. Like if you don't know what to do, you can use some certain tools. And I sort of talked a little bit about this. I didn't have time to go way in depth here, but There's like a plugin that you can use for Amazon to do some research on different products there. And you can find stuff that a lot of people are searching for and find the right kind of product, the right niche and improve upon it, you know, so that you can better compete in the marketplace and capture the people that are already searching for it. So I think a good uh, example that would be like protein shakers. A while back, I was looking for a good protein shaker and there's a ton, you know, but somebody had gone out and made one that was a little bit better. And that's the one that I bought. But you know, on the other side, I, you know, I don't know what exactly the business is that you're trying to start, but you do need <laughs> the right combination of unique without I guess without being almost like too niche, although they say riches and niches, but it depends what kind of thing you're trying to build. You're trying to build like lifestyle company, or are you trying to build a huge brand with lots of growth that's gonna be like the next Twitter? You know, get a lot of investors on board, or you just kind of doing it yourself. You know, it depends, like, I suppose the niche thing. I guess my overall answer is if there's too many people doing everything, nobody can do something as you, right? They can't climb into your shoes and have your perspective and your experience. So, regardless, you do have a way to do it. I think the bigger thing is like what we've been talking about is just time, though. You could be a-, a Twitch streamer. But you have to spend the time and it can be saturated, but you can still do it. But you have to invest the time. And maybe the more saturated something is, maybe the more time you have to invest. But it's not impossible. You bring yourself to the game. That's what you do. Okay, last one. Somebody says imposter syndrome is slowing them down, regardless of all the videos and books that they read against it. Well, look, everyone can relate to this. Imposter syndrome comes for everybody. And I think there's something to just getting started, just doing something. Because if you get out and you just do it, then it gets easier to let yourself shine through. I, You know, let me tell you, I talked so different. (laughs) I don't even like looking at it because it feels cringy. But I talked so differently when I started this YouTube channel. And I got a lot of flack for it because I was learning. And I think that's really what this comes down to is learning. People are like, get some headspace because I didn't know how to frame the shot. And I talked really awkwardly. I did the thing that I just talked about. I think I went out and made the same kind of voice inflections and stuff as certain other creators that I had seen in the space because I equated that to success or that's just the way that you do it because that's how it's been done. But that was the worst mistake I could have made. There's strength in just being yourself. Like That's what people want to see. And so I will never be any of the creators in the tech space as good as them at certain things, but they can never be as good as me at at certain things too. In fact, I almost don't like when I get a comment. uh, Somebody said the other day, well, Chris is giving so-and-so a run for the money. And I didn't like that because that's not what I'm setting out to do. I guess it really was a compliment, I think, from this person because the person that they mentioned was very thorough in their content. So it was good. You know, It was a nice compliment, but I don't want to be known for being somebody else. The thing about imposter syndrome is it's so dumb because it makes no sense. And I don't mean that you're dumb for feeling that because I feel that too, even now. And it probably never ends. But it's such a lie that your head tells yourself or your heart tells yourself. Just, you got to do it. You got to get out and make it happen. Like everyone's so afraid of being a public speaker, right? That's like the number one fear. Although some people are probably not. But a majority of people are. I, that was me too, man. I gave a... um talk in a college class that I had to go back for one time. So I was a little bit older than everybody else there. And man, I was so embarrassed at how I performed, basically. It was awful. I should have been much better than I was, but I had no experience. And oftentimes, I feel like I can have imposter syndrome when I don't have experience with something. And the only way to get experience and therefore feel ready for stuff, feel prepared and be better is to do it, you know? And that's what's uncomfortable. And that's what a lot of life comes down to in business, I think, is putting yourself in the uncomfortable situations because that's where all the value is. And the reason is because a lot of people, they stop at the uncomfortableness. It's like a barrier. And it's only those that push through, that do that really hard thing and keep doing hard things that continue to push and make progress that have breakthroughs, that do big things. And ah, what's that saying? it's like cuz i found it to be true if you want to have the things that nobody gets to have you got to do the things that nobody's willing to do something along those lines and i think you just got to you know you mentioned reading some books and stuff and there's nothing wrong with that the knowledge but at some point you have to act you know and through the acting through you know the the pain that comes through that then you know you Earn your way out of that imposter syndrome to an extent, I think. And the other thing that I would say is once you start putting yourself out there, uh, it sounds like you might be doing something more online instead of like a maybe a more quote unquote traditional business. But once you do it, the rewards are there. Like you'll get the feedback and people will be encouraging too. I think oftentimes you can be paralyzed by fear and be like, well, people are just going to think that I'm no good. I'm not doing it good. But really, that's the unfortunate thing. You will find some haters out there. But I think you guys know how I feel about that. 99% of the time, I feel like haters are just driven by them having either a bad day slash life, which is no reflection on you, or just out of jealousy. I think that's really where a lot of things are grounded. You know, you don't have to be super successful for people to be jealous. Some people are just going to find something to be jealous about because you had the audacity to do something that they were afraid of. You know, maybe they had imposter syndrome and you got over it. You decided, I'm going to try this, even if it's not perfect, and try to improve, try to learn, try to get better. And that's enough to make somebody lash out out of jealousy, believe it or not. And so I guess I would just say there's a reward on the other side. You know, there's obvious benefits, right? Accomplishing whatever you, your big hopes and dreams are, but there's even a reward in just taking that first step. And uh, you will find from my experience, people there to support you and give you good feedback too. And honestly, the bad feedback you can learn from. If it's a real critique, you can listen to it. If it's something you can't change, like someone, I remember they're like, I know those two front teeth are fake. That was one of my first negative comments. And I thought, what? I never noticed my teeth myself. And then I looked in the mirror like, oh, maybe they do stick down a little bit. And then later I was like, man, am I a beaver? But I got over it. And you do. You kind of have to have thick skin these days because the world is so interconnected. It doesn't matter what you do, whether you're a YouTuber and super out there, or a TikToker and super out there in front of people, or you're just running you know, a small business somewhere. You know, People are going to have opinions. Some good, some bad. The thing is, you're not an imposter. This is the other part of the equation. You really are you. And that's all you need to be. If you're feeling imposter syndrome, it's because you feel like you're not meeting somebody's expectations. You've got to just forget about caring about other people's thoughts about you. And that is one of the biggest things that will hold you back. Easier said than done, I know. But that's the thing. Most people stick in the easy zone, if you know what I mean. All right. Well, that's it for this podcast. We talked about all kinds of stuff, didn't we? Hopefully that was entertaining for your car ride or if you're just chilling at home or on a walk or whatever. But uh, it was fun. And I'll look forward to the next one. And I'm kind of thinking about resurrecting some video podcasts. I know I shouldn't even mention that. They say, don't talk about stuff, just do stuff. Otherwise you look bad. But of course, I'm always looking for feedback from people. If I can find somebody to edit the video stuff, like I can with just the regular audio podcast, I don't know. I'm really thinking about it because that's more time intensive, obviously. But hey, thanks for hanging out. I'll catch you guys the next one. Later.